HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Hungry Root. Clean ingredient, nutrient-dense food that's on your plate in under 10 minutes. Hungry Root makes eating healthy easy with fresh pre-prepared ingredients that turn into delicious, nutritionally balanced meals in minutes. Hungry Root is healthy food for life. For more information, visit HungryRoot.com. That's H-U-N-G-R-Y-R-O-O-T.com. Hi guys, I'm Jamie Oliver and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. How amazing. For the past decade, they've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and so much more. It's been 10 years and they're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with David Tamarkin. And I always hate offering rules about cooking like these are the steadfast ways you should you should eat and you should feed um, yourself and other people but I've never come across something as exceptional as cook 90 and I don't say this lightly um, because I, I know so many people that adhere to diets um, whether or not they're trends fads or you know permanent facets of people's lives Th- this was more a challenge um, this was less, you know, about the outcome than about what you were doing at the moment and how that made you feel mentally, physically, maybe even spiritually as well. And now there are 150,000 plus followers on this Cook 90 challenge. So I- I'm first going to let you explain why the hell you ever decided to cook three meals a day for 30 days um, and then tease you a little bit about Skyline Chili. Okay, great, great. <laughs> Well, first of all, that is a very sweet thing to say, so thank you very much. Um, cook 90 is a 30-day challenge where you cook everything you eat. You cook every uh, breakfast, every lunch, every dinner for a month-long period. You get three breaks in that period. That's why it's Cook 90 and not Cook 93. And I started doing it in January of 2016. And so I think of it as a January thing, though, of course, you could do it any time. And you could start it any time, especially if you have the book or go to the website to get the parameters. Um, 
I think a lot about why I started it, and I've written several stories about why I started it, and some of them conflict each other because the truth is there there were many reasons. Uh, but it it d- was genuinely a thing that I started, and I thought I was just going to keep to myself. Um, and I thought I was going to keep it to myself because at the time I was the editor of Epicurious, which you know, which I still am, and I was sort of ashamed that I wasn't cooking more. You know, I was living alone in. Greenpoint, Brooklyn. I mean, there are so many opportunities to not cook, especially in a, a city. And um, I was working long hours, and I, I just, uh, I think, I think initially, I, I just wanted to understand my readers better, and I wanted to walk the, what's the walk the talk walk walk the, the walk talk walk, the talk. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I wanted to walk the walk that I was talking about, right? I was the yeah. editor of a cooking website where we do no restaurant coverage, no chef coverage. We just talk about home cooking, and certainly I was cooking. It's not like I was never cooking, but I just wanted to. I felt like I should be cooking more, and um, so that's one reason. And then there definitely was a mental health reason, which sounds. <laughs> really serious but not serious but it's a bit slightly serious just uh, just an anxiety thing I just, I just uh recognized around that time it was not the easiest time of my life and i recognized oh when i'm standing at this countertop and my hand is on this i had a very nice marble countertop at the time and uh when my hand is you know i touching this countertop I'm, I'm, and my other hand has a knife and I'm cutting something or whatever it is, it, th- just being in that space was very sort of centering to me. And I thought, well, you know, okay, this year was hard. Maybe next year will be less hard if I spend more time in this space, just standing here. Um, so that's, that was another part of it, which is a part that's not in the book and not in, that I don't talk about very much. Well, I, I'm first of all most impressed that you actually followed through with a New Year's resolution um, because so many people talk about that. But I, I really do want to touch on th- this mental aspect again because you do say in the book um, it's something that you did for physical reasons, for financial reasons, but I'm like triple underlying mental reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, not just to get into the psyche of your reader, but what did you come out understanding about yourself after cooking for yourself and feeding yourself and nourishing yourself for 30 days. Yeah, there's definitely a self-care component to it. And there's also a, uh, a, a lot of learning about what frustrates you and what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do and how you're willing to spend your time and not spend your time. And, and are you going to be the person that you say you are, that you think you are? Because when it's it's sort of like right now, just if, I'm going to see if I can draw this parallel. Right now, I'm working on a package uh, for for work that's all about plastic and, and reducing our use of single use plastics. And it's been very interesting because I'm you know here I am again talking a lot of talk, and then in my daily life I'm like noticing all the ways that I, um, you know all the, all the plastic I'm throwing away, all the plastic I'm consuming, all that blah blah blah. So in this instance. Um, you know, I, I, I was able to pull back and, and, and look at my life and look at how much I was cooking and how I was feeding myself and how I was treating myself and how much was I drinking when I was going out to restaurants and how much was I, you know, um, how much money was I spending and how, on restaurants and the cab back and what was I saying at these restaurants when I was drunk on a Tuesday night and, you know, on a date and was I making a fool of myself? You know, I mean, just, uh, and did that, did that fit with the, 
person who I thought I was. And when you, so when you pull back and, you, and you, I kind of take all of that out of the equation, I'm like, oh, this is, this is so interesting because I feel, I feel better and I feel more, more, more true to, to the idea of who I am. Or, or maybe it was just that I was feeling more, um, more like myself when I was cooking instead of going out. Uh, I was feeling more like myself when I was staying at home a little bit more. Um, when I was, you know, just cooking with my boyfriend or, you know, I'm not, I realize I'm giving you cross message. I did have a boyfriend at the time, but I was also going on dates before that in that year. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I think there was a, I think there was sort of definitely a self discovery thing because, uh, there's a lot of time spent by yourself, a lot of time, uh, a lot of meditative time cooking. If you're, if you live alone or if you cook alone, right? I mean, I understand for a lot of people, they're cooking with kids running around there. Maybe the kids are helping them or maybe their partner's always there to help them or their parents or whatever it is. But for me, I was cooking, I was cooking a lot alone and, um, there's a lot of time to think a lot of downtime. Yeah. I feel like a lot of your career has been helping others. Um, and let me frame this in that you've always worked as a reporter and you've never been the subject yourself. Uh, for CBS News Radio, you were a producer and director of research at Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, Time Out Chicago as a food editor with Rick Bayless uh, working on his cookbook and otherwise. Um, when do you turn the lens on yourself and uh, do you think more people in food media should be doing that or maybe are doing <laughs> no. that at the moment? I think they need to stop. <laughs> uh, I, th- I mean... Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I feel like in a, in a certain way, like I, I, you don't have a choice if you're in media, any type of media anymore, you kind of have to make it about yourself. And I definitely am way more, this, here's, here's another thing where I'm like, I say one thing and I do another. But the, the fact of the matter is, I would like to be someone who doesn't ever write in first person, but I feel most comfortable writing in first person. And that's what kind of just comes out of me most, right? Um, so some of my career has been pushing against that. And sometimes I just... I fall into it. I, I was, I'm horrified that there are photos of me in this book. I, I'm horrified that this, that my editors kind of pushed me to write about my personal experience and kind of write it in first person. I think it was the right decision because people, you know, people connect with other people, but, um, I didn't want this book to be about me. I wanted it to be about, I wanted it to be very, very removed from me. I wanted it to be something that anybody could connect to and not everyone's going to connect to, to me. Um, so, but, but that said, I think more, I think when I think about where my career will go, where I would like it to go, I think I have to like, and I don't know if, I, I think people, maybe you can relate to this. A lot of people can relate to this. I just have to like, strip away a lot of the bullshit and strip away a lot of the um, layers of of this is what I should do, this is what I should be doing, this is what a good person would do, this is what a good journalist would do, this is what a good careerist would do. I don't know if I really want to be any of those, but I just want to do what, what do I really want to do? Okay, well, let me, stri- let, me st- hold, let me take this back for one second. So I have, we were just talking about book proposals before we started recording. So I have a, I have a list of book proposals that I want to work on. That, I've been, that my agent has been waiting for. And I took them to my friend Julia Kramer, who I worked with, who I work with now. She's at Point Appetit and I'm down the hall at Epi and we worked together at Time Out Chicago. And I give her all these ideas and she was like, these are fine, but like, 
I don't see I don't see you in any of them. And it really resonated with me because because I do have a book proposal and it's actually a, almost a book already because I've already written it of that are more personal essays. Really weird fucking shit that I've never <laughs> published and I just did on my own and put away and pretended like it wasn't part of what I'm at, what I want to do, but it but actually is. So I'll go to that and I think I will be going more first person because I think that's that's just like I said, it's what's easiest and what seems to be in me. I mean, but how do you parlay that into first person food? Um, and here's where I'm going to start teasing you about Skyline Chili. I mean, growing up in Cincinnati, what, what is the culinary legacy of that place other than this this almost Mediterranean spiked meat sauce? Wait, what? What? At what least, is my? That is the Skyline Chili I've had. Where Where are you coming from a food perspective? Like, what is your authority oh. as someone from Cincinnati? Yeah. Um, and then working their way through Chicago to be the one to say this is how you cook and this is how you feed yourself. In other words, just What's bash Skyline Chili right. as yes. much as you want. Right. No, I'm not going <laughs> to bash Skyline Chili. Um, so, I, I, I got asked a lot when I was a restaurant critic in Chicago for 10 years. I got asked a lot, even by people who thought they were asking a kind question. What makes you qualified to do this? Which I always thought was sort of a rude question. But um, I thought about that a lot. And I thought, well, the answer is just breadth of experience. I don't think that my opinion on this plate of scallops in front of me is any worthier than anyone else's opinion, but I do think I can put it into context because I've been eating out 10 times a week for the past 7 years in Chicago. So so breadth of experience I think is is what gives people authority. Um and now since I've been doing Cook 90 for, you know, I'll be the this will be my 4th year. I, I do I do really feel I can I can speak for, from an authoritative place about what it takes to cook every day and to fit fit daily cooking or even just almost daily cooking into your life. Um, but before that, I don't know. I wouldn't say that I had much authority at all. Like I I didn't work in restaurants, which I know a lot of food writers did before they started, you know, writing about food. Um, I, you know, I have a story which I'm a little embarrassed to. It's, it's true though my mom was really my mom really was a great cook she was and she did a and she kind of worked as a cook a little bit she was a um in cincinnati where i grew up cincinnati gas and electric is the gas and electric company and uh she was hired to teach people how to cook with food processors and blenders because the electric company wanted you to use those tools and use their yeah, it's all Electri- about the electricity, grid. right? Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so, so she and she had a little cooking show on public access. Anyway, she so she was a little bit involved, in, but that was all before I was born, and and we just had Bon Appetit and Gourmet around the house all the time. So I did kind of grow up with that. I think that was an influence, but it was mainly when I graduated from college and moved to New York. I was really homesick, and I bought uh, my, my my boyfriend at the time was working at Connie Nass, and he brought me home Gourmet magazine. And I just like it, I felt it was sort of comforting. I I hate. I hate that that's true. I hate that sounds so <laughs> cheesy to me, but it's the truth. And um, and I think I, you know, I just started, um, and I and I lied. I lied to get my first food writing jobs. I lied about my authority. I called. I wrote a. Um, I, I pinpointed Time Out New York as a place I wanted to write about because in 2000, Time Out New York was a was a great publication in New York Magazine. Adam Moss wasn't there yet. I mean, that I felt like that they were doing the best work. 
and I wrote a restaurant review on spec, just a little hundred word capsule. But I took some friends out to a French restaurant in Fort Greene where I was living. It was nothing like Fort Greene now. And um, I said, don't worry, guys, I've got this because I'm going to write this review and I'm going to sell this review and they're going to expense this meal for me, which, of course, did not happen. (laughs) But I did send in the review and the editor said, "Uh, hey, thanks, we don't need this, but we do need writers for our big, they used to put out these huge guides. I don't know if you remember that, but every year uh, they would come out with a restaurant guide. Uh, $15 a pop. What cuisines are you fluent in? And I was like, what? I'm not fluent in anything. I didn't even, I mean, I thought that was such a silly question. I sort of do still. Uh, but I just said Caribbean. No, no, no. I said, I said Middle Eastern and Jamaican. <laughs> and she's like, oh, how are you? How are you? How do you know about Jamaican food? I said, well, I've done a little bit of traveling there. Referring to like a, you know, vacation I taken when I was twelve to like a resort, you know, with my family, and then Middle East, and, and then she asked about Middle Eastern, and I said some lie. Anyway, and so I did those restaurants for for two years. I just basically wrote those chapters of those books. I was probably an authority on it after those two years, but before that was a complete total lie and had no authority. So I just did it by hitting the ground. Uh, I also want to, I almost want to eliminate this word authority from the conversation because. There is a thing about empowerment that happens in this book that isn't coming from somebody that's of a higher level than someone who's hopefully cooking through this book. And I don't, mm. you know, mean to say that as an no, insult. That's, no, I, it's true. I, I, I love that you that you notice that. Yeah, and I think it's such a ingratiating thing to see somebody right at a level that has a lot of latitude, and that's a hard thing to do. So. You seem like somebody who sets parameters for themselves. <laughs> um, how do you set parameters for recipes that go in this book? Um, aside from the, you know, four point plan, et cetera. Like, what does the collection of recipes in this book symbolize for you? It was just very, it, they all had to be doable on a Wednesday night um, when you've worked during the day and you want to get into bed by 10 o'clock or 10.30. And I don't necessarily think that means that the recipe has to be fast. I think that means it has to be relatively, it can't be long, it can't be slow, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be fast because I do think, and I make this point in the book, I think there's this weird idea about uh, all weeknight cooking or or has to be fast. Or there's like, there's this, we put fast cooking on a pedestal. But cooking itself can be what you do with your evening right and it can be an enjoyable process if you we shift our thinking about it and we think okay well this recipe is going to take an hour and i'm okay with that it's what it's how i'm going to spend my time tonight and maybe it'll be by myself or maybe it'll be with my partner or my kids but this is the worthy activity that that is worth time i don't like the idea of like everything has to be fast because why not spend time on cooking? Why not spend a Wednesday night, you know, on a braise that's going to take, you know, 30 minutes as opposed to putting something, doing something quicker. And as you show in this book that that time doesn't have to be relegated to that time. Um, we will, we'll talk about the, the, the phrase next over soon, but again, it, it isn't encapsulated within the actual active time you're cooking. Um, it's how you activate it afterwards. Yeah. You get on the you get on a cycle, and anybody who cooks a lot knows this. It's it's it's, it's sort of, but 
but it, it is worth it to put it out into print for people who don't. But the you know when you right, it's just using parts of one dish and using it again, and right, the time you put in on Wednesday night will save you time on a Thursday night, and then on balance you'll probably spend you know if you average it out maybe thirty minutes a night, but maybe that's because you spent fifteen minutes one night and forty five minutes another, and all of that time is valuable. All of that time is good for you. Um, I will yeah. say I was intimidated by reading uh, that this is an exercise in high intensity interval cooking. Oh, that's I like going that. to the gym and saying that yes. you're going to do like lunges and squats. For yeah, me. right. It's based on high intensity interval training. Yeah, yeah. Which is, but I love, I love that term, um, and I wish I had. I kind of the other day I was thinking, oh, I should have named the book that. I should have <laughs> named Cooking Ninety H I I C, which I guess maybe it's not a good idea if you <laughs> if it's intimidating. But I love that because. It gets to the point of why do it? Why do a challenge? Why make this a challenge? Why not just say, "Hey, we should all be cooking a little bit more," and here are some recipes that you can do that. The reason for doing a challenge is because you do it, and it is intense, and you find you find out so much more about yourself when you really force yourself, uh, when you box yourself yourself in with these parameters, like you say. At least that's, as you pointed out, that's how I like to do things, and I have a lot, lots of other ways that I do it in my <laughs> life. Um, but I do think I think it's uh, I have found it useful. Excellent. We're going to take a quick break and come back and actually put ourselves to the Cook Ninety Challenge. You've been listening to the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Hunger Root. I have to say I'm quite impressed by Hunger Root's simplicity, and I know you will be too. Though I've worked in restaurants for years, I love the ease of going online, selecting from a variety of wholesome foods. With the click of a button, you have a personalized pantry made just for you. It's like having your own set of sous chefs. You can make meals from their fresh-cut vegetables like beet noodles, broccoli rice, and super blend salads. And add in proteins like savory spiced tofu bites, sweet barbecue chili jackfruit, and new as of 2019... Hungry Root has introduced two kinds of chicken sausage and even a hot smoked salmon option. Mix these morsels together as you please over salads or rice and grains and toss them together with tasty sauces like Thai peanut, kale pesto, or dairy-free garlic parm. I personally love the whole wheat sprouted flatbread, which I made into a crunchy white pie with creamy garlic parm and topped with roasted broccoli rice, a meal I've eaten twice in the same amount of days. Delivered right to your door, Hungry Root is full of fiber, protein, complex carbohydrates, and all the vitamins and minerals you need to feel great. Tailored to your diet or individual tastes, your Hungry Root experience can be vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or whatever you're craving. And don't worry, there are sweets too. With no preservatives, artificial ingredients, refined sugars, trans fats, or additives to speak of, it's a complete meal that's completely delicious. If you're interested in bringing Hungry Root into your life, Start by getting $25 off two deliveries, that's $50 in savings, by visiting HungryRoot.com backslash food scene. That's H-U-N-G-R-O-Y-R-O-O-T dot com backslash F-O-O-D-S-E-E-N. Welcome back to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with David Tamarkin and Cook90. And let's just talk about this hashtag for a second, Cook90, the, the number 90. And the fact that there are over 150,000 people following and actively participating in this challenge itself. Um, I'm not much of a rules person, but I admire people that can abide by rules and understand the parameters of these things. And, you know, we, we, we can go through the four point plan, which are smart meal planning, a big shop, 
Speed Pantry, and the last one are Nextovers, which I, I, I employ the idea of Nextovers every day of my life. Um, that seems simple. Four little things. And it seems like most people actually at least do one of those things inherently. Mm-hmm. Did you, before you took this challenge upon yourself... I think I probably did the shopping one. Like I would, I'm a big fan of online grocery shopping, and I would do it, uh, you know, put in a big order, and so I would be stocked up for the week. Um, I, I I like going to grocery store, but I do think it's a time suck, and I like to kind of get that off my plate. Um, but I definitely wasn't meal planning. Um, I think my pantry could have been a little bit better before I started. And uh, next overing, I was doing. No, I was not doing because the difference between nextovers and leftovers is that you do nextovers with intention. So that, you know, was I cooking, if I had some potatoes in the fridge left over, would I put those in a, you know, or tortilla or whatever? Yeah, I would do that. But that's just using leftovers. So that's the main difference between leftovers and nextovers. Nextovers, of course, is when you, of course, because everyone knows what nextovers is. Nextovers is uh, when you, when you're cooking potatoes, you throw in a few extra knowing that you're going to use the potatoes another night in a completely different dish. There are these, I don't know how many pages it is, but there are these schematics of how to meal plan in this book. And I'll leave that for people to see for themselves because at first it does look a little intimidating with you know the arrows going one way or another and it kind of looks like uh, a football play. Um, but really, it's, it's, it's so linear. Um, and it's what we do unintentionally most of the time. Yeah. Uh, cook too much or don't know what to do with an ingredient that it's nice to have that preemptively done. Um, and then I'm a speed pantry guy, even though I have an exhaustive, uh, intense pantry I'm of sure you do. things from around the world. And it's actually... How many... Vin- I mean, the vinegars in your pantry must be... It must be the best vinegar pantry it, in the world. It was when it was over 500 bottles. And uh, now it's... My God. Yeah, now it's a few dozen... Um, that's like a cellar, not a pantry. Like a, you could like it a took wine over cellar. my wife's wine fridge. Wow. Yeah, it was that. That was a point of uh, contention. Um, we could talk about that later. But having a pantry that doesn't have to be extensive and can be so easy and active. Um, tell me why diamond crystal salt alone makes somebody a better cook. Because it, I think you can just control your seasoning better and, and it wasn't until I started cooking with diamond kosher crystal that I really felt like I understood how to season intuitively and it, it's so easy to over season with with table salt which I, which is what I think uh, a lot of people are using and which is why I insisted in this book to call for specifically for kosher salt and even in the recipe directions you know put in the half teaspoon kosher salt because I really want people to know if you're not using kosher salt this is not correct yeah um, but uh yeah, I just felt, I feel like it's much more forgiving and um, and you can add a lot of it, or I'm sorry, you can add it with gusto and not be fucked. Yeah. And learn from that and keep, and keep on learning from that. Because you're doing it with table sauce and you kind of be like, okay, I'm going to really season this motherfucker. I'm going to like put all this shit. Then you're like, then it's ruined and you'll never try it again, right? I feel like you stock your pantry with a lot of those kind of flavor bombs or enhancers. Um, yeah. And a lot of them are canned. Beans, yes. tomatoes, uh, yeah. even tuna. To yeah. have that at the ready at all times. Yeah. Um, how, how do you take that out of the context of lazy and make that, you know, something exciting for someone to cook with? Yeah. That's funny. 
lazy because the alternative for tuna would be I'm not cooking it or cons- and then conserving it. Or going like pole catching it. Yeah, yeah, yes, going right, through that whole right. process. Um, I don't know. I think that they, I think that, I think a lot of people have this stuff in their cabinet, but I, what I think um, they don't, I'm thinking of my sisters right now who, who, are, who are my benchmarks for typical home cooks. Um, I think they have this stuff in their, in their, in their cabinets, but they don't know what to do with it besides take the tuna out mix it with mayonnaise and make a tuna sandwich, which of course is a perfectly great thing to do. Um, I don't think they would ever think of putting in pasta. I don't think they would think to, you know, um, you know, put, put it in a, what else can you do with tuna, Michael? I don't know. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, put, put in your margarita. Uh, you know. <laughs> well, let's stop at pasta for a second because I think that was one of the best ways to kind of introduce the recipes in the book to just say, here are spaghettis one through three. And those spaghettis one through three, the first one's anchovy garlic breadcrumbs. The mm-hmm. second's white beans and harissa mm-hmm. uh, with dill. And the third one's tuna and lemon. Yeah. All three things have canned items yeah. in them. Right. And they're three distinctly different recipes yeah they're all pan- they're all pantry pastas which i think is like to, to me pantry to me pasta is a is a last resort i mean i don't i i love pasta i love pasta too much i don't uh this, this is where this is where things get a little complicated for me because i i i'm not i, I think it's fine if you want to eat pasta every night and i think it should be i think i should feel fine if i want to eat pasta every night but i did just for me personally i just I don't want to put a judgment on pasta it's really hard to talk about food and cooking especially this book without and and and, and walk around the the I, what i'm saying is I think it's a minefield because there are so many different ways i could put my foot in my mouth and, and say something i don't mean and say something that makes that seems judgmental about the way people cook and i'm very adamant that i don't even think you have to cook i don't think cooking is a moral activity i don't think it makes you a better person if you don't like to cook fine and i wanted to put something in this book about that <laughs> and my editor was like you know what there's a certain point where you just have to assume that if they pick up this book they want to cook yeah <laughs> which i think is a good point but anyway so what i'm saying is for me i know myself i don't want to eat pasta every night but i love having it around for when i get home and I just don't know what to cook, or I just don't want to cook what I planned. I just don't have time, whatever. I think it's, a, and so, to, to me, pasta is a pantry thing. It's not something that I would necessarily plan out. It's like a last minute thing. So to have it all from cans and b- bottles, is is really crucial. And not to jump way ahead to a next over, um, a recipe later on in the book is a pesto pasta frittata. So, pasta is also a frittata. I love that. Have you, you've you've seen a, a pasta frittata before? Yes. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of people haven't, and I love that. I mean, that's that's sort of a a, a mind blowing idea for a lot of people. What I can put pasta in my eggs and eat it for breakfast, and it's good, and it and it, it really is good. I and mean, that's one of my favorite things about uh, to do with a pesto pasta is to use it the next morning. That's the type of thing that I really am excited about. Like. For my for the people like my sisters who just who just aren't thinking that way. I just wanted to click for them. I wanted to click that that is so easy, right? If you have leftover pasta in your fridge and you need to make breakfast for yourself or your family, it's right there, and it connects to the meal you made before, and it's just and 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 that's when it would start to click for someone. Oh, this is how the cooking cycle works, and this is how easy it can be. Uh, I thought the most interesting part of this book for me was the indices. Um, 
it's a weird thing to say that like I'm actually looking at the back of the book and mm. you know checking to see what kind of recipes you have in it. But in reading the book from you know cover to cover, uh, I saw these callbacks, these tropes, um, be it you know eggs or rice or chicken, and trying to figure out how you would organize that in the back in a way that people would realize how often they pop up, mm. um, but how iterant they are as well. Um, so where do you go from teaching somebody how to make a seven-minute egg, and where else does that egg end up throughout the book? Oh, I mean, God, I think there's so there's so many eggs. I was looking at my Instagram feed the other day. I was like, I need to stop putting eggs on my Instagram feed. No, you don't. But as as somebody who doesn't eat, I definitely eat meat, but I don't eat a ton of it. It's like such a good source of protein. And readers can't see me, but I'm so swole. I'm so muscular. I need protein all the time. I'm actually like, look like a scarecrow and that's why I need need protein so I don't fall over. Um, <laughs> I, uh, the seven minute egg is really, it, I'm really passionate about how to make a seven minute egg. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, especially I'll just call them out on the New York times about how to make a proper seven minute egg. I think they're completely wrong. I think it's a horrible idea to start an egg in cold water. You lose so much control that way. Um, and, uh, so I, so that's like one of the longest head notes in the book is how to make this seven minute egg. And then it pops up all over. It pops up, um, definitely in salads. I love this like bacon and egg salad, which is basically another kind of improvised thing like from your fridge. Yeah. I also love that you call it breakfast salad. Yeah. It's a breakfast <laughs> salad for breakfast or when you eat breakfast for dinner or whatever. And, um, you could definitely put it in any soup. There's definitely the, uh, an egg salad recipe in there that you just put in a jar and bring to work um there is i don't know i don't have the index in front of me do you i mean i love the green egg salad jars which i yeah. think you were referring to yeah, um even though it's a fried egg just the greens and grains with a fried egg. right right yeah. um again th there are so many ideas of eggs in here in the same way that there are rice and chickens that you have a recipe called a big pot of rice mm -hmm. you have a recipe called rotisserie chicken and right. then you see both of those things converge in something like moho chicken with rice and beans. Yeah, right. Um, you have the parts. Right, right. You do have the parts, yeah. And I wanted to talk about the rotisserie chicken for a second. Yes. Because I want people to understand that the rotisserie chicken, there's not a recipe for rotisserie chicken. There are six recipes about how to use a rotisserie chicken. And these recipes are from my coworker, Anna Stockwell, who did this on the site and we put it in the book. I think it's a really empowering idea to think of a rotisserie chicken in the same way that we would a can of tuna or a package of tofu it's a protein that you can buy and cook with it's not it's not weak or lazy to to buy a rotisserie chicken and bring it home as long as well it's not weak or lazy to buy it in any in any sense but for the purposes of cook 90 it's completely allowed because there are so many things you can do with a rotisserie chicken and you really if you wanted roasted chicken to taste good you really should do something with it because most of them are really dried out and and have lost their flavor um but that's an, it, to me when i when that idea was presented to me as the editor of epicurious i was so excited i was like yes this is this is an empowering idea this is and this is sort of a, a, a game changer idea for a lot of people who have um bad feelings about themselves about how much they cook or feel guilty when they pick up a rotisserie chicken for their family i don't think that or for people who are like why is rotisserie chicken taste bad why can't i take advantage of this 
rotisserie at my grocery store. It seems like it tastes much better in a green curry with bell peppers, sugar snap peas. Yeah, or you or you just bra- you just add some liquid back to it. Like they're so dried out, you just braise it in some tomatoes and some wine, and you're good. But you also empower people by showing them how to cook slow cooked chicken, shredded chicken, um, make yeah. quick tiki masalas, make sesame chicken with broccoli. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not saying that this is a pantry ingredient because you can't do it better than this. Just like in a pinch, don't feel bad that you go out and get this protein. Absolutely. I, w- I would never write. Don't feel bad about anything, but definitely look at what you're look at what it's on offer to you. There's so much on offer to us right now. And how can we use it in our, our meals and, and, and cook with it instead of just sort of like eating it as is. Now, do you feel bad or do you take the three breaks you allow readers? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I definitely take them. I go crazy at about day 18. Yeah. Like I wake up, I'm like, I cannot, I, I just cannot be in my kitchen again. And I will organize this year. If I, I always say at the beginning of the month, I'm going to like organize a bunch of cooking dates, you know, with my friends. Or they're all the, they're, they will either come over or I'll go over there. Um, but it's January. Right. In the north, it's like cold, it's dark. People don't want to travel to Harlem where I live. You know, they're all here in like fucking Bushwick. <laughs> and um, and it, it, sometimes it doesn't work out. But uh, yeah, I go crazy and I, and, I, and I get a little resentful and I wonder why I'm doing it. But um, so that's a good time to take a break. But then also, honestly, and again, this sounds so cheesy and not real, but it really is. When I am f- feeling agitated, no matter what, if I'm doing Cook 90 or not, I do truly find the act of cooking um makes me feel better i know that's not the case for everybody but it's definitely the case with me and if i can just like get through my annoyance and get to the kitchen get to the stove then i can be fine i know you say not to cook anything twice in the book during this you know month-long process but you had me at grilled chocolate sandwiches with jam yeah Um, and one of my favorite things is you say in the pantry always have a good chocolate bar. And I mm-hmm. thought it was just a snack thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it turns into this decadent yeah. but delicious recipe. And there's a, right, there's a sandwich which I really, which really, I mean, I have a, I mean, that's really all I want to eat is carbs and butter yeah. and chocolate all the time. That's all I've uh, eaten leading up to this interview today. <laughs> Casey and I. Um, you can also turn the chocolate into like a, these little shots of chocolate that I think is a really good weeknight dessert because I'm not going to like bake a cake on a weeknight, but you know, melt some chocolate and put some bourbon in it. Um, yeah, that's just a, just a grilled cheese with, with, with chocolate, shredded chocolate instead of cheese, and then some jam for a little acidity, and that's it. And you could leave out the jam if you wanted to. Just go all, like, fat. <laughs> um, I hope people make that. I hope people feel... I hope people allow themselves to make it. It'd be a really good breakfast, too. Yeah, I hope people take chocolate shots as well. <laughs> but you also say that snacking is allowed, um, only if you add in a butternut squash. Because I'm a big cheese and crackers person. I'm like, wait, what are you saying about cheese and crackers? That this isn't oh, a meal? You're right. Well, right. I, I think snacking between meals is is allowed. Because what are you going to do? I mean, like, I, I don't know. I just think it's... It, it, this is not supposed to be a punishment, right? It's supposed to be something that... It's, supposed, it's, it's definitely a challenge. It's, it's, there, it can get hard, but it's not supposed to, like... It's not just, I don't, I'm not going to tell people they can't snack between meals and deprive themselves of their almonds or their apple or their their chocolate, whatever it is. Um, but I do love I was uh, but about the soup. So you're referring to a recipe of butternut squash soup with cheese and crackers, and what that's about is uh, 
I was struggling with something that I think you tell me, Michael, a lot of cookbook writers struggle with was like, I have this recipe. I like it. It seems so basic. I have to do something else to it. You know, we have this idea that we can't just put like a, you know, a basic butternut squash soup in there. And so I was talking to my social media editor, Epi. I was like, what, how do you, what are you putting in your soup? What are you putting in your butternut squash soup? She's like, uh, I only eat soup with cheese and crackers. I was like, that's a great idea. And I, and, and so that's how I, that's why I spiced the recipe up. Yeah. <laughs> just that one little thing. But I do love the idea. And I think it's a sort of a, a really good, um, solo cooking thing. Just cheese, crackers, soup, Netflix. You're gone. You're good. What did I say? You're gone. <laughs> it's been it's been a long thirty day challenge, but you know, I, again, I, I want to reinforce that even though the word challenge is associated with Cook ninety, it feels less that than it feels like um, community almost with those hundred fifty thousand you know Instagram followers um, with those three cheat days, which I feel like people can reach out to you and you can cook for them. Maybe yeah, for sure. Put together a big potluck mm-hmm. of a lot of cook 90 people together so they realize it's not really cooking alone it's not really cooking for one mm-hmm. it's it, it's cooking to bring you back into a, a, a greater spectrum of people yeah and that's one of the coolest things about cook 90 has been watching people use the hashtag and seeing them comment on each other's posts and the feedback i get from them is that they've you know they feel connected to other home cooks around the country which is really a wonderful thing um and absolutely, I and, and this year on Epi, we made a big push to say, okay, this year do a Cook 90 Club, like do it with other people because it it, it might be easier that way. It, it certainly is isolating for people who live alone uh, and, and are single to cook every, to do Cook 90 because, um, you know, it's a lot of time in your house where you're not going out and getting drinks. And you can certainly fit drinks in, but it there is a point where you might start to feel lonely and, and certainly it's get, cooking is going to be more fun for a lot of people if it's with other people. So I, I think that's a, a really good way to go. I'm going to uh, form my own Cook 90 Club with, or, or rather... Tell <laughs> me. Well, I'm, I would say uh, I have... There are some people who I have not asked yet to do <laughs> Cook 90 with me, but they live in my neighborhood and gotcha. they're just random Cook 90ers who I haven't met. And I'm like, well, maybe we can just one night have a chocolate sandwich <laughs> and hopefully you won't think I'm like hitting on you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll be watching out for that. We'll be following that hashtag. Thank cook you. 90 yeah. For sure. Cook 90 day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, David, so much, not only for coming on the show, but for presenting a challenge that I think is uh, something that a lot of people can accomplish and feel good about accomplishing. Thank you. Excellent. You've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at three. Big thank you to our sponsor, Music by Cookies and Matt Patterson Engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage 
Thanks for listening.